This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to the Out of Water podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, pusher of buttons extraordinaire. That's my job here. I click things, push buttons, and make noises on the computer. Uh, in the studio with me today, our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kassensmith, and it's just Sam and I in the studio today because this is kind of a, of a special uh, a special episode. Our church is getting ready to start a series from the Book of Ephesians is going to be a 12-week series, and we've laid out podcast episodes that will track along with those subjects, so we encourage you to stay with us through this process, especially if you're somebody who is attending Rio Vista Church and, and you're hearing these sermons on Sundays. What we're going to be trying to do with the podcast is to go take a deeper dive, more background information, some more detail to sort of flesh things out. It's, it's not possible to do these things in the amount of time that you have on a Sunday morning message always. And so we're taking advantage of the longer format of a podcast to be able to do more. And today... Uh, Sam and I are going to be sort of going through an introduction to Ephesians and the city of Ephesus and giving you some background on the people and the culture and the times, because it really is a fascinating uh, slice of history here. And of course, Sam Smith, the biggest history nerd I know, I'm sure that you are just full of great and great tidbits of information about the city of Ephesus. But I'm going to start with this question, Sam. Uh-oh. Is the letter to Ephesians a circular letter? And what's a circular letter? Because I think that will surprise people. Okay, so if you read the letters that Paul writes, sure. they all seem to have, or most of them seem to have a particular agenda that's addressed to a particular people. So if you look at like the letter of Galatians, he's mm-hmm. dealing with a problem of legalism. If you go to First and Second Corinthians, there's a whole host of things that are very specific to the Corinthian church. I've heard this person is doing this among you. That's right. correct. That's correct. Or he's writing to a particular person about something that person's going through. Right. But when you read the book of Ephesians, it really is a letter that could be kind of lifted up and taken to the next town and dropped down and taken up to the next town and dropped down. And it would apply to every single city of that era and what the church is going to be going through. And I know that there's that, that when some people hear this, their reaction is, oh, well, then I don't need to pay as close of attention because this is just a, a generic letter. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to pay more attention, if anything, because you can't say this isn't for me. This is for yeah, you. This, this is, is for, all, for of all of us. Yeah. Uh, the book of Romans is another example of that. He was writing to the church at Rome, yes, but he could have been writing to any newly established Gentile church unfamiliar with the Jewish history and so forth. So... Uh, yeah. You know, 100% Paul did this kind of thing. Yeah, it, but Romans, for example, in the last chapter, in chapter 16, he starts calling out specific people. So when he's giving kind of the epilogue coming out of he it, does. he's, he's going to name specific people. And and the end of Ephesians has a brief mention of a person who's going to explain things further, but that could have been a courier, that could right. have been a lot of other things. But other than that, Ephesians applies to every single church that would have been popping up in, the, in, in that time period. Right. And even some of the early manuscripts, they have found that the the line where it says the church in Ephesus, though that line is not in some of the early manuscripts, and it is in others. And so what that means is Ephesus for sure got this, 
But the fact that some manuscripts pop up where that's not, it, it makes you question, now, where did this come from? Was that sent to another church like a Laodicea mm-hmm. or to somewhere else that would have gotten this very same letter? I think that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe I am, and I'm sure that somebody out there is a Greek nerd and will correct me, but uh, when I looked at that issue, some of the early manuscripts, it actually says, to the church, and it just doesn't say Correct. in Ephesus. So it's almost Correct. like to the church, fill in the blank here, yeah, yeah, right. send this letter out. So I think that that's even more of an indication that this is a letter that its themes are universal. So maybe, do you feel like we should start first with talking about what the city is like, or should we talk about what the themes are and then talk about why they were necessary for that city? Yeah, either I, I, we could do it either way. Okay, so, so let's uh, talk, since we mentioned the themes, what are the themes of, F, of Ephesians? So the way that you always hear Ephesians taught, and it's really brilliant, and the reason why you always hear it taught this way is because it's correct, and it's, <laughs> it's six <laughs> chapters in this book. And the first three chapters are vertically oriented. Mm-hmm. So it's our relationship with Christ and what God does among his people and his power to save and his supremacy and the fact that all grace comes from him and and he's the head, right? And so then chapter four through six gets into the horizontal. Okay, now what do you do with this? How do you treat one another? What is the church going to do? What are your gifts look like? And every what's the armor of God that you're going to mm-hmm. wear when you go out and engage in everyday life? And so the first three chapters, like I said, are the vertical indicative. It's what God has done for us. It's what's right. already accomplished. It's all about him. And then comes four through six is the horizontal imperative, which is, okay, now this is what you should do about it. And I think one of the primary themes of Ephesians 2 is this idea of unity. Oh, Absolutely. Between the, 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 and I don't want to say factions because just, there was just, but when you talk about Jews and Gentiles, and I guess now we've talked maybe about Ephesus, um, the city of Ephesus was one that was not like, it wasn't totally Jewish. It wasn't totally Gentile. There was a really big mix of both groups of people there. Right. So when we think about history, one of the things that we, we, we tend to err in thinking this way is that all the Jews lived in the land of Israel right. and Jerusalem. And, and the reality is, in 586, so 600 years before Jesus' ministry, you had the Babylonians that came through and conquered all the land of Judah. They destroyed Jerusalem. And what they did is they caused this massive dispersion where they sent Jews into exile all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the oracles before Jesus came wrote about the Jews, and they said, every land and every sea is full of thee, talking about the Jews. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is they were scattered all over the world. They went far to the east. They were in Persia. They were in Babylon. They went up in Anatolia or Turkey. They went over into Greece. So you had synagogues that started popping up all over the place in mm-hmm. the ancient world. And what happened when the early church explodes when the apostles and the missionaries are going forward, where do they go in these foreign cities? They're going into synagogues. Well, why are synagogues there? Well, the Jews went there during the exile. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like God and his sovereignty caused this exile to let all the prophecies of the Old Testament, the promise mm-hmm. of a Messiah, all this had spread all over the world. It's like kindling, you know, that God had planted all over the world so that when the gospel came, it blew up everywhere. Everywhere was set on fire because everywhere had these prophecies in their synagogues. And so Ephesus had a large synagogue. It had a large Jewish population. Um, In the ancient world, Ephesus was called the gateway to the west. Mm -hmm. So if you were coming from from the east, you had to go through Ephesus. It was a port city that was right on the the western coast of Turkey. 
It was the second largest city in the world at this time. Uh, massive amounts of trade. Yeah. Uh, what was the population? Was it like uh, 250,000 or something 250,000. Like that? So that's next, a good size city even today. back then. Yeah. yeah. And today. And Rome was the only city bigger than it. Right. And so to win this city, to that's why Paul throws a lot of horsepower at this city of people, his apprentices and whatnot. And so to win this city, one of the most influential cities and the gateway to the West and the East, right? So it's it's everybody who comes through there is going to hear these ideas and take right, them with right. them. And, and the, so the idea is if we can win this city, it's going to be massively influential. And But there's a big problem. In the ancient world, uh, particularly in the Roman world, the, every city had its own patron god or goddess, mm-hmm. and they were fiercely loyal to that god. Now, it didn't mean that you didn't worship any other god, right? but you worshiped that god with fierce loyalty. And there was a lot of civic pride. There was a civic religion. In America, we don't understand state religion because we have the freedom of religion here. right? But in Rome, you worshiped the God that they told you to worship with Jupiter and Rome or and and Ephesus it's going to be the goddess Artemis and also known as Diana right right correct right, okay. so and depending so, whether you're Greek or Roman correct, names. <laughs> correct. and so you worship that God which means I want to, just to give you an example of what this looks like uh, and Claudius who is the emperor in the first century when Paul is and his missionary journeys and whatnot there's a year where he declared 159 public festivals where all citizens were required to go out and honor the gods. When you went to a party, you were required to pour out libations to honor the gods. You ate meat that was sacrificed to honor the gods. And so when the right. early church started, the reason why I'm telling you all this is not just boring, nerdy stuff. Maybe it is, but <laughs> but anyway, the early church, one of the restrictions that they give is you cannot, you can, you've got great freedom all over the place, but do not eat meat that's been sacrificed to pagan gods and do not partake in festivals to these foreign gods. Mm-hmm. So I want you to imagine in the Roman world, this is how, this is like foremost how you show your patriotism. Mm-hmm. Now they're being told, sit on your hands. You do not go to dinner parties where they sacrifice meat to gods. You do not take part of drinks that are poured out to gods. You don't go out in the festivals where there's gods. And so the response of the Roman world (laughs) to the Jews that are refusing to do these things that show patriotism, the Roman world hated these Christians hated them this would be like all rise for the singing of our national anthem and all of the christian states seated yeah imagine that. i mean you can imagine <laughs> that's, that's going to get you in some trouble yeah i mean the news that just happened in the nfl when when the same thing was happening and people were taking a knee right visceral responses to that on either side right right the same thing christians are refusing to do what is honoring rome and its glory and its heritage and so Prior to the advancement of Christianity, the Romans kind of tolerated Jewish people because they cloistered together and it was bloodline and, you know, that's your heritage and you didn't take it outside the boundaries of your synagogue. Christians come along and say, no, 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 we're taking this message to the ends of the earth and we want the gospel to reach into Gentile homes. And so now it's seeking to convert the Roman world, the Gentiles. And it's seen as a great threat 
a tremendous threat, so much so that what you find in the historical writings, Suetonius tells us that uh, Emperor Claudius actually looks at the Jews and the Christians that are in Rome and says, get out, leave your homes, you're not allowed to take your possessions, I want you out of my city, and they're actually forced out of their homes. They're prevented from traveling places. Um, And so you get this impression, now, not to make too far of a, a leap, you get this impression, what, where, where does this sound familiar, where all of a sudden an entire people group are forced to leave their homes? Well, there's lots of examples of that. I mean, in, just, in, just in our country, I can think of the Japanese uh, during World War II, who, Japanese Americans who, yeah. you know, they were forced out of their homes. In some cases, their homes were then taken and sold. And, and when they came back from the internment camps, they had nothing. Yeah, the, everything's gone. Go far enough back, you can think of the Native Americans when uh, European settlers yep. came in and they pushed them out to reservations, taking their land. Uh, and then in 1930s Germany, what the totally. Nazis did to the Jews there, there's a, there's a long history of people oppressing other people just because of who they happened to be. You're Absolutely. Japanese, you're out. You're, you're Redskins, you're out. You're Jews, you're out. And so what happens, that political climate that's going out, you know, get out of your homes, you're not allowed to travel here or there. And then under Nero, what happens when the great fire of Rome breaks out? What's he do? He does what everybody does when there's great division in a nation. Points a finger. He yeah. points a finger and says, these people are the problems with why our nation is suffering. Let's kill them. And he does, right? And so now imagine here comes this message. I mean, you've got a world that is so viscerally divided between Jews and Gentiles. You know, think of Gentiles as those that are that are allied with Rome and mm-hmm. Caesar, you know, a totally different culture. Right. And the Jews are kind of cloistered and they're separate and they've got their traditions and they've got the scriptures and they're after righteousness, a totally different way of living. And now Paul comes and says, there's going to be, there's a, in the gospel, there is a great mystery that takes these Gentiles, you know, and you Jews and unifies them as one bonded in love in a way that the world looks at and says, are you crazy? Hmm. I mean, if you would imagine, go to, go to any of those examples that you just gave, Japanese internments, the Indians, 1930s Germany, and saying, right. okay, these two parties that right now are so viscerally divided and have endured so much pain at the hands of the oppressor, we're going to unify as one in love. Yeah, and you, I mean, you get the you get the reason why Paul has to write epistles <laughs> <laughs> saying we're going to do this, yeah. and here's the power of the gospel. Because in human ways of thinking, you're like, no way, yeah. absolutely not. You there with the star of David on your arm, and you there with the Nazi swastika on your arm. We're going to put the two of you together, and you're going to become brothers. Yeah, that's and, just a, a mind blowing thing. But here's the deal: it's not you with the it's you with the swastika armband and you with the the star of David. Take them off, yeah, because right, we're exactly. both under a different banner now, right? A higher banner, a greater banner, a more beautiful banner, right? And we're going to be one with one another. That's stunning. Um, if I and maybe this, I I always question my own memory on some of these things, but Diana. Artemis Diana was the goddess of fertility, as I, that's correct. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine, therefore, that the temple celebrations 
regarding <laughs> Artemis and Diana were probably of a nature that, let's just say, the togas came off. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, so worship I, in the ancient world was a little more dicey than what we think of worship today, yeah. for sure. So that would have also been an interesting culture for the Christians to be around and, and coming up in, especially because if you were going to be participating in this sort of temple worship with it, at the temple of Artemis or Diana, depends on whether, I guess the Greeks and the Romans used to fight over Ephesus a lot. I wonder yeah. if they just renamed the temple. This week, it's the temple of Diana. <laughs> Next week, it's the temple of Artemis. But whoever... I always who, go with Artemis. Okay. But, well, that's the Romans. And they, but like I said, I heard the, the Greeks and the Romans are back and forth at each other. So I, I would just imagine that there was a lot of sexual immorality that was part of the culture in Ephesus, maybe even more so than you had in just any other city because of the big of that pagan temple there. Yeah, I mean, some of the ancient world, I mean, I think Corinth probably has <laughs> has the corner on sexual immorality in the, in the Bible. Yes, but that's do. definitely at Ephesus. And, and they took pride in that. Like, one of the things, in Ephesus, you had the Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. You know, you hear about the seven wonders of the world. That's one of them. I mean, they had built this temple that was so grand, so amazing. It was it was their city pride. Yeah. And so here comes Paul, and we're told, you know, like through the book of Acts, you know, if you read chapters 18, 19, it'll give you a picture of what's going on in Paul's interactions with Ephesus. But that's one of the deals. This is their this is their heritage. This is their pride. This is what defines who Ephesus is. And Paul goes in there and starts preaching and taking people that are worshipers of Artemis and converting them and having really fruitful ministry. Little revival breaks out. Paul spends three years planning this church in Ephesus and bringing his top dogs there. Timothy and Priscilla mm-hmm. and Aquila, who had been expelled from Rome, are taken and, and brought here. Like, they're doing amazing revival. And what is it that ultimately drives Paul out? It's that pride. He's, yeah. he's drying because they used to sell idols and, and you know, the, the worship of these pagan gods generated a lot of business. And sure when did. revival for Jesus breaks out, it dries up all the pagan idol industry. And so this, the silversmith comes forward who used to make idols and he's like, have we lost who we are? Do we remember <laughs> who we are? And so they get so riled up that there's a riot that breaks, <laughs> breaks loose. And I want you to imagine how much animosity, passion, whatever you want to call it, vitriol breaks forward. They fill up a theater that we know would have held about 24,000 people, and they sit for two hours screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And I mean, it's like they're looking at Paul and all these Christians that had changed, begun to change the culture of Ephesus, and they're saying, get out. We're not changing. We're digging in. Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, you can hear the, this guy whipping up the crowds toward animosity and their mm-hmm. national pride. I mean, you can almost, not to get too far afoul, but you can almost see the sea Kyle, you know, like yeah. it's. Or if you're younger, the Hunger Games. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody getting very whipped up. Yeah. It's, and so this is what Paul's dealing with. And this, he's so bold. And this happened to understand the animus. So we talked about how Ephesus is the circular letter. Sure. That where this letter would have applied in city after city after city after city. I mean, every city that Paul goes into, the Jews and the Christians are at odds. And it's creating pockets of, of animosity between them even. Mm-hmm. And so 
Paul goes to one city and he's, you know, it sets off a riot and he's nearly stoned to death. And he goes to the next city and he's chased out and he goes to the next city and he's beaten and he goes to the next city and he refuses to stop. And you got to think, what is it that this man had that made him go, you know what, I'm going to be persecuted and I know what's waiting for me in the city, but I'm pressing headlong into it because I've had my experience with Jesus and I know he's worth it and I'm just going to pour my life out for him. Um, Let's think about the background of, of Paul, too, for a second, for those that maybe aren't like really up on you know, the Apostle Paul, who's like the rock star of the New Testament, but he was a Pharisee who persecuted the Christians. He was a Jew who persecuted Christians. He was a pro at persecuting Christians, and then he had that encounter on the road to Damascus where Jesus came to him in the great in a great light, as it says. And so his conversion was something that was dramatic. And all of a sudden, he came to understand that everything that he thought he knew about these Christians and their Messiah, that actually it was the fulfillment of his whole lifetime. You know, he was, uh, a, you know, he was a student of Gamaliel. Did I get that name right? Gamaliel, yeah. I think. Right? Gamaliel, and um, who was an instructor of Pharisees that was renowned, like he was a famous teacher. So this was a guy that you know, Paul described it himself. He goes, you know, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So very well educated, very well trained in the religious laws, and and suddenly to have that understand that okay, what these people, this Messiah, these Christians, these people of the way, this is the fulfillment of everything I've been about since the day I was born, and I think that's where the boldness comes from. He transferred that boldness like the flipping of a switch. It's like he was a zealot. And now he's a zealot again, but he understands who Christ is and who the Messiah is. Yeah, and so you you got to get this picture when you when you mentioned the word factions earlier. That's not that's not necessarily a bad word, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so the early church was seen saw itself as the fulfillment of all the promises that were given to Israel. Here comes the Messiah. This is just this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So they didn't stop going to synagogues and say, "Hey, we're Christians now." They saw themselves as Jews who had seen the Messiah come and the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. And so they still went to synagogue. They were just saying, Messiah has come. And you had them saying, God has come in the flesh. And you had these Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, who hear you saying, God became a man and it's offensive and they see it as blasphemy and it sets them off. And so you've got, you know, this war going on between new Christian converts and the Jews that rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Right. So they've got war going on with the Jews. But then outside the walls of the synagogue, the Jews at that time were content to keep it in the synagogue. Right. The Christians are saying, no, I'm going to my Gentile brothers and sisters because they need to hear this gospel too. And so they start coming to a Roman world where sexual immorality is rampant, where the treatment of women is atrocious, where slaves are second-class citizens, and they're coming with the message of a different kingdom and a different ethic that's wildly different and calling on people to leave their gods, which to the Roman world was the equivalent of, you know, that's patriotism. Right. And so you hate Rome. You're standing against the glory of Rome. You're a traitor. In fact, the, early, the some of the early secular writers that are writing around this time, like Celsus, is saying these men are guilty of sedition. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're To be called an atheist in the, the ancient world was 
seen as a traitorous thing. And they called Christians, even though they believed in Jesus, they called them an atheist because they rejected the Roman gods. Right. And, and they went after them. And so they're getting it from both sides. You know, their home team, the Jews, are not coming along. And so they're being ostracized more and more from synagogues. And when they go out into the world, the Romans are saying, we want nothing to do with you. You're destroying our country. And so we're going to clamp down and persecute you and kick you out of your homes and not let you go places. And we're going to blame everything that ever goes wrong in our country (laughs) on you because the gods are angry at us because you're rejecting them. So against this cheerful backdrop, (laughs) against this cheerful backdrop. So before we launch into, you know, Ephesians chapter one, verse one, I think a good way to wrap this up is going to be to ask ourselves, what would it have been like to, to be there, to be in Ephesus, whether you're, you know, as a Christian or as a Jew in Ephesus, what would it have really been like, you know, try to paint a picture of that. You know, it depends on which side of the tracks you're on, I guess. If, if you're a, if you're a Jew that had converted to Christianity, to follow after what Paul is teaching brings great cost to you. You know, I was raised up Catholic, and my family was Catholic, and the generation before them was Catholic, and the generation before them was Catholic, and the generation before sure. them was Catholic. And so for me to move from Catholicism to Presbyterianism sent kind of a, a shockwave through my family. Mm-hmm. And not because they I'd changed beliefs or anything, but it was just because— <gasps> You're no longer Catholic. We've always been Catholic. This family's always been Catholic. Sure. And so for a Jew to say, you know what, I'm going along with this new gospel. I believe Jesus is my Messiah. And by the way, I'm welcoming Gentiles that had always been kind of secluded from the synagogue. Right. That's hard. You would have, to your family, they would have looked at you like you have betrayed everything we've ever been. Mm-hmm. So, so not just the government, but your own family would yeah. be like, oh. So to do that would have cost you tremendously, if you were a Jew, that you're reaching out to these people that not only have an entirely different moral class that you've never been able to trust, their government's coming after you and, and treating you like second-class citizens, that would have been an incredible act of boldness to say, I stand with Paul and I'm going to love these Gentiles. Hmm. It would have hmm. been costly. Now, so imagine on the other side of the tracks, you've got somebody who's a Gentile who's never been approached with the love of God, who's never heard any of this stuff, and who says, I love this Jesus. I want in. They've got to say, I can't go to that dinner party anymore. I can't pour out libations. I can't eat sacrificed meat. I'm not going to be a part of these public festivals that lift up these pagan gods. And all of your neighbors and all of your friends and all of your business mates and partners suddenly look at you and go, he's a traitor. Mm. And you are left alone. And so here you have these people that no doubt would have been incredible. Paul was ostracized. He felt alone. He talked about it. But both of these sides are going to be incredibly ostracized, and Paul is taking both sides of the tracks and bringing them together and saying, in Christ, here's a mystery that the world can't understand. There is a love and a unity by the power of the Holy Spirit that can take people that are so far apart and bring them and make them not close, but one. Hmm. And you can find family that's inseparable, unshakable, unbreakable, and the power of the gospel. That's what it would have been like. Yeah. And there's no better word for that than a mystery of God. Yeah. It's stunning and beautiful. Well, we hope that whets your appetite for the study coming up in Ephesians. Um, that'll be uh, coming up soon. I mean, I, recording schedules and, and service schedules, I, I realize this is a little bit asynchronous. This is a podcast. I'm not sure when you're going to listen to this, but understand that uh, we're going to be going through the entire book of Ephesians. And 
So we hope you'll join us for that on the Out of Water podcast going forward. Um, do remember to subscribe to the podcast to give us a good rating because that helps other people find Out of Water also. And we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.com.